A desolate, peanutty wind blows. Peanut fragments rustle on the infield. Chorby Soul batting for the shoe thieves. Play ball. Chorby Soul is inhabiting Velasquez Allstott. They land a newt, safe. Consumers attack Chorby Soul. Salmon cannons fire, consumer expelled. Rogue umpire incinerated Chorby Soul. You're out. A solitary peanut rolls onto the field. Nobody cares. Ladies and gentlemen, once again, thank you for joining us. Now, let's play some baseball. Let me into the place ball. Let me into the stands. The crackle of peanuts, the crack of the gun blades, the screaming of millions of terrified fans. If everything that you just heard made you feel like you were having some sort of baseball-induced fever dream, you're not. But you're also not alone. That is a sample from the Blaseball Global Feed, which updates and tracks the goings-on in a completely digital sport born out of the coronavirus pandemic called Blaseball. It's a little bit like baseball, and a little bit like the podcast Welcome to Night Vale, with a little H.P. Lovecraft and Dungeons and Dragons sprinkled in. Sometimes it rains blood. Sometimes players are incinerated. Sometimes they disappear to the secret base, a baseball base you weren't even aware of. But more importantly, baseball isn't just driven by its players, with names like Chorby Soul and Jessica Telephone. It's driven by its fans. Fans can vote on what happens, on what players are removed or brought back from the game, and they can vote on new rules. It's a game that, during a time when there weren't many sports to go on, existed and persisted and grew with a powerful fan base. There's fan art and fan fiction of baseball players all over. It dominates Twitter and is widely acknowledged as part of the game. This is what it looks like in 2020 and 2021 when a new fandom is created. But we're all aware of fandoms because we're all a fan of something. And baseball really got me thinking about the power of fans. It's absolutely fascinating to see just how involved they are in the game and in the lore of the game and in the conversations that go on outside of the game. The fans drive baseball, just like they drive so many other things in so many other different ways. We're all aware of the power of the K-pop fan or Taylor Swift's obsessive Swifties. They wield not just social power and capital, but purchasing power that's acknowledged by advertisers and corporations. This week, we're looking at why fan culture matters, how it impacts and reflects broad trends, and how it starts new ones. How fandom breeds community, conversation, and expression and how we, side by side with our brothers in fanhood, have the potential to make waves at levels that might surprise you. I'm Kate Redding, and this is Case by Case. This story was produced by myself and my managing editor, Alex Cardinale. You can read the accompanying pitch for this episode at casebycase.substack.com. Just a quick note before we get started, we're shaking up our posting schedule a little bit. You can see more about it on that website, 
We also have some new ways for you to support the work that Alex and I do at Case by Case, and we'd really appreciate you checking those out as well. All right, on to the show. Okay, Kate, so you've been down a rabbit hole of fan culture this week, right? Yes, and not just a rabbit hole of fan culture, but I've been avoiding rabbit holes of specific fandoms because all of this is so interesting that it's I've wanted to go a million different places, but I've been just diving into fan culture and it's really fascinating. Do me a favor for anybody who isn't the most internet savvy, me included, define what does fan culture actually mean? Yeah, I guess the easiest example is just to define fandom. So a fandom can be the fan base of anything. It could be Mm -hmm. a sports team, it could be a singer or a band, it could be a TV show or a comic book or a podcast. Most commonly, I think that word has been used for more kind of geeky subcultures, but really Mm -hmm. anything can be a fandom. Give me a couple of mainstream examples just to put a picture in my head. Sure. So a fandom could be the Washington football team. They have a fandom. Or the Cardinals. That's a fandom. Or Marvel Comics is a fandom. Something like that where fans kind of coalesce around one thing, whatever it is that they're into. And so when you were exploring fan culture, what's the question you were trying to answer? What exactly about it made you curious? The question that came up for me is, how do these fan bases get so powerful? This is something that we've seen kind of again and again. And one of the things that brought fan culture back to my mind was seeing the rise and the downfall of the European (laughs) Super League in uh, Europe, specifically in England. Obviously, soccer is huge and the Premier League has its own ins and outs. Teams can Uh move up, uh teams can get relegated and move down to a different league. And the rises and falls really bring fans together. A bunch of teams decided that they were going to create their own league that worked a little bit more uh, like American football does. Um, It was incredibly driven by owners and by people with a lot of money who didn't necessarily connect with the fans. And the fans Mm -hmm. said absolutely not. The European (laughs) Super League apparently lasted for about 48 hours. And then the wheels really came off it because the fans said, no, we don't support this. You're not listening to us. And we know that this is Mm -hmm. about money. So that Mm kind of got me thinking they they derailed a multi-billion dollar plans just because they were deeply passionate about the root and the heart of their sport. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like fandoms are never bad. Well, that's (laughs) its own story. There's always dark sides to these things. And of course, that's kind of where the power aspect comes in. So Mm -hmm. we've seen this before where any group of people, like I said, that's really passionate about something can use that passion for good or for evil. So -hmm. something that first came to my mind is something like Gamergate. So it was the awakening of me as a baby feminist, because I remember in incredibly simplified terms, Gamergate was, from an outsider's perspective, a lot of male gamers getting angry at female video game critics and female video game journalists, kind of for being women in their space. That's how I perceived it as an outsider. And there are all kinds of people that we can easily link in the show notes that will explain Gamergate way better than I potentially could. What does it look like when fans get mad? Are we, I assume this isn't like the olden days of people sending written letters. Is this storms on Twitter, storms on, what What does this actually look like? Are people protesting in streets? They are, actually. Uh, really? In England, they were breaking coronavirus restrictions to protest, to go out mm. and say that this is something that they didn't want to happen, which mm-hmm. has its own cons since we are still in the middle of a pandemic, although the light at the end of the tunnel gets brighter every day. 
But I think another interesting aspect that could truly be its own pitch is social media. I think social media has completely revamped the way that fans can interact, not just with creators when you're thinking about something like media, a TV show, Mm -hmm. but also something like sports. You can directly interact with an athlete or a singer or a musician or an actor. We have direct access to these people now in a way that we didn't before, which is kind of interesting. But this has been happening since people were writing letters. There's always examples of that. And there are even funny examples in fiction, like Stephen King's Misery is all about a crazed fan kidnapping an author who wanted to stop writing a book. Uh, Misery is terrifying, and I'm not suggesting that all fans are that way, but Mm. it's a it's a public perception. We know that fans are intense. And so I started looking mm-hmm. into where does that intensity come from? How does a fan base get powerful enough to have mm-hmm. this kind of change? And what does this this change in this power really look like? Right. Especially because I think, I don't know about you, but I think a lot of people probably make the assumption that power comes from hierarchy and right. authority, whereas a fan base is just this nebulous group of people who like something exactly That's as simple as it is so okay so describe to me then what was the angle that you really wanted to pay attention to here yeah so this story actually became a really fun economic story a huge aspect of this power is purchasing power now more than ever i think fan bases are a valuable and respected cohort for advertisers, merchandisers, and people Mm -hmm. making content and making media. Mm -hmm. We've always known that something like sports generates money. That's why Super Bowl Sunday is the advertising day of the year. That's why those commercials live in their own space. Mm -hmm. But one of the things that kind of inspired this is this sort of social change where things that were once really dorky and really niche have become really popular. Something like Marvel Comics dominates the media landscape. It's Mm -hmm, kind mm -hmm. of one of the only things out there. And the amount of money that fans of these, you know, media franchises or these once dorky things generate is absolutely insane. And it's crazy when you break down the numbers. Okay, give me me some numbers. What are we looking at right here? So think about something like a Funko Pop, those little plastic figurines with the big shiny black eyes that come in literally every character from every piece of media that you could ever imagine. Yeah, they're adorable. (laughs) They're adorable. Maybe a little creepy, but they're on desks (laughs) literally across the world. And something that I didn't even think about until I started looking into this story is that Funko produces characters that are incredibly niche. Some of the most valuable pop figurines that have resale values in the thousands are a one-off character or a side character in a B-variant outfit that fans (laughs) are really clamoring for. But... Funko Inc. has a revenue of over $686 million with a projected 30% in net sales growth in 2021. Whoa. Right. So those little plastic figurines generate an insane amount of money from fans of all different media. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So it's not just Superman is getting all the attention. It's his second cousin twice removed. (laughs) Exactly. It's all of these little characters you wouldn't necessarily think of that fans want. And it goes to show how powerful fans can be that putting the time and money into developing Mm -hmm. and creating those figurines of these random characters is profitable for Funko. It's how they make their money, and it's how resellers make their money on, you know, websites like eBay doing the same thing. And so what about fan culture right now is changing? Like, why is this a relevant story that we should be paying attention to right now? Yeah, I think it's 
always a relevant story depending on what fan culture or fan base you're looking at. So Mm -hmm. what we're providing with our pitch and our conversation is the basis you might need to look at a specific fan culture or to pick up on something in the news and understand why it's relevant. So Mm -hmm. these things come up from time to time. One that I've already mentioned but want to touch on is the Washington football team. The Mm -hmm. name change of the Washington football team, dropping a name that we all knew was racist, wasn't (laughs) it wasn't so much the result of fan backlash as it was the absolutely massive cultural shift that we saw after the death of George Floyd. People just Mm. became more socially aware and they have Mm -hmm. continued to become more socially aware this year. I think that that's something Mm -hmm. everyone has seen in a myriad of different ways. But Mm -hmm. now the Washington football team is soliciting their fans to provide them with what they want to see in a new name. So whether they stay the Washington football team or one that I saw that I should throw out there is the Washington Red Wolves, which is a great example. They're soliciting Mm -hmm. this from their fan base. They want to know what their fan base wants to see. Interesting. Something like the European Super League is also a great example. That just happened. And then last year, to move away from sports and recognize that these sort of subculture geeky things are just as important... Last year, K-pop fans shut down that Trump rally in Oklahoma. Do you remember that? Wait, no, I don't think I heard about this. Yes. What is this? (laughs) K-pop fans got on Twitter and TikTok to sabotage the sign up here for free attendance for a Trump (laughs) rally. And we think are the reason why so few people attended. They tanked the attendance by taking up all the tickets. Oh, that's hilarious. So sign up and no show. Exactly. Just to show that there's, oh, that's hilarious. And... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's all these different groups that all are kind of happening happening at the same time. K-pop mm-hmm. is one that fascinates me. Mm-hmm. Those fans are powerful. And I think right. another social shift that we've seen is not just to be a fan, but to be a stan. The word stan mm-hmm. has really entered the culture from an Eminem song called Stan about an obsessed fan, sort of in the vein of misery where it's almost Whoa, a threat. Is- Is that where it comes? I mean, I knew what the word Stan is. I like to think I'm young, but I had no idea that was the reference point. That's hilarious. That's actually where it comes from? Yeah. Oh, my God. So (laughs) now people aren't just fans. They're stans. It's it's a word that's cemented itself in our culture, and it's cool to be really, really into things. (laughs) That's that's amazing. So I got to imagine that there is an expert out there on the behavioral psychology of the stan fan. Yeah. Who who did you talk to? And tell tell me about them. What is what does an expert in this space look like? Sure. So a lot of the time, this content and this expertise is fan generated. A huge part of fandom, especially these more niche subcultures, is fan content. Think fan fiction, which has become a lot more normal in the past few years. People talk about it in the contexts of K-pop and One Direction more mm-hmm. so than all of the other times it's been written about. And fan fiction is... I would hope everyone knows what it is, since it's been around since the days of Sherlock Holmes. But fan fiction is... Yeah, Sherlock Holmes is where a lot of people think fan fiction started. Fans would write their own stories about Sherlock Holmes after Sir Arthur Conan Doyle stopped writing. Whoa, this is an amazing history lesson, as it is cultural zeitgeist lesson. Okay, It's pretty fun. (laughs) There's a lot here, which is why this pitch was so fun to look into. 
But the website Archive of Our Own is something that came to mind. It is an online archive for fan works. So not just Mm -hmm. fan fiction written stories, but things like fan art where someone might draw their favorite characters, whether it's a real scene or an imagined one. Fan videos where fans will edit scenes together with different music or to tell a different story than what actually happened in a show or movie. And all kinds of other different fan works. Essentially everything you can imagine. And you found these guys through... What? Is it it just like you Googling or you knew a person who knew a person? How did you find this source? Well, I've been a fan of a few things throughout my life. And (laughs) I'm not going to say I've never looked for fan fiction, but the archive of our own kind of surpasses everything else. It's got a Mm -hmm. lot of users, somewhere to the tune of 3.68 million And that's not to mention all of the traffic that the site generates from viewers who don't have an account. There are 7.6 million and counting fan works on this website. Whoa, that's awesome. So it sounds like an internet internet archive for fandoms. Exactly. And they will protect other archives. So a lot of these things for older works of media... Uh, are on really old websites that uh, just Mm -hmm. can't run anymore. So the Archive of Our Own is run by an organization called the Organization for Transformative Works, which is seeking to protect and to gather all of these fan works from all different pieces of media and all different times, essentially, and keep them in one place. They Mm -hmm. provide outreach. They have their own academic journal of fan studies and media analysis, as well as the psychology of fans, which is really cool. They also provide legal services and keep fan work content creators aware of what's happening in the legal space so that they don't get sued and can work under fair use laws. Whoa, doing God's work. Okay. So, okay, did you talk to anyone from here? Did anybody reach out back to you? I did. I talked to Claudia Rabaza, who has been a staffer for years now. The Organization for Transformative Works is coming up on 10 years, um, and she's on their communications team. So we had a really, really fascinating conversation about not only fan culture, but how it's changed how these things that go out of, you know, out of print or on websites that can't be hosted anymore can be saved, how streaming has actually completely changed the way that fans interact with TV shows. I went into the conversation assuming that uh, fans now are more engaged with uh, showrunners, creators, and writers because of social media. But Mm -hmm. Claudia, who is older than I am and much more well-steeped in media, told me that that's not the case. Uh, Shows in the past, uh, our example was The West Wing, used to come out, you know, with five episodes already made and 20-something left to go. So Mm -hmm. creators and showrunners could see that feedback in real time. But now, when a show drops with eight already produced episodes on a streaming service, not Mm -hmm. only are fans engaging with it uh, at different times, so the fan engagement isn't as synchronous, there's no real feedback that can be given because the show's already done. Interesting. So it's, they've already put in all of the investment. Your best hope is that maybe they've greenlit a season two and the creators are willing to listen. Exactly. It has to be that between seasons. Whereas uh, in the past with a show that's continuously running for 22 episodes on live TV, Mm -hmm. there was a chance to get in with the showrunners before they had made all of their decisions. Okay. So what did Claudia tell you that surprised you, if anything at all? I feel like this is such a a rabbit hole of a space. And like, this is a rabbit hole about rabbit holes, and it's so meta. Did anything she say surprise you or shock you? Absolutely. Not only did the streaming thing surprise me, but 
a lot of the conversation that we had was not just about how a fan base interacts with a piece of media, but also how a fan base interacts with itself. I had Mm -hmm. kind of gone into this project looking at certain numbers and certain metrics and seeing that there was a chance that pieces of media and fandoms where you have more autonomy, like a video game that you might be part of, or something like Dungeons and Dragons, where it literally can't exist without players and uh, consumers making decisions that directly affect the media, Mm -hmm. that that would give way to more power because there's higher engagement. It's why I sought Claudia out in the first place, thinking that fan works could provide that autonomy where there isn't any. But our conversation was more about how fans engage with each other Mm -hmm. and how these almost mini fandoms are created for fan works. Someone writes a fan fiction about a TV show and that fan Mm -hmm. fiction generates its own fans who Mm -hmm. in turn Mm -hmm. become deeper fans of the TV show. And something that we go into in our pitch is that deeper fans are willing to spend more money on media and merchandise related to it. Really? Is yeah. it just because they're like super fans on multiple levels, so it's more relevant to them? Essentially, this is something that the website Fandom broke down. They're a big wiki of different uh, media and essentially anything that you can imagine. But they broke down for potential advertisers how significant the purchasing power of these cohorts can be. They broke out into light, medium, and heavy fans. With heavy fans, specifically of video games they're likely to spend up to 230% more money on media and merchandise than light fans of video games. Whoa. And okay, so I guess I'm trying to understand like what exactly makes someone a heavy fan versus a light fan. Right. You just watched one movie one time or, you know, is a heavy fan someone who like, I only wear Legend of Zelda t-shirts all of the time. What (laughs) What does a light medium or heavy fan look like? Yeah, that's fandom's definition that I've been operating under. But essentially, it's that. A lot of it is related to their purchasing power. So heavy fans will spend more money versus a more mm-hmm. casual consumer like a medium or light fan. Maybe they're mm-hmm. only wearing Legend of Zelda t-shirts, which I would highly respect. <laughs> but <laughs> these are the people who are seeing Marvel movies on opening night wearing their Avengers in-game shirt. They're willing to buy commemorative merch and things like that. Versus a Mm -hmm. light fan who maybe tunes in every once in a while or gets to the theater, you know, a couple weeks after it's come out. So in talking to Claudia then, do you feel like any part of this story is overlooked? Something that I spoke to Claudia about that I wanted to touch on is the role of representation in fan works and in fan culture. A lot of the times with fan works, what you'll see is a rewrite of something in a piece of media that maybe didn't go the way fans wanted it to, or something from an outdated piece of media that no longer stands. A lot Mm -hmm. of times, fan works will create queer relationships where there isn't one on a mainstream screen, or give women a more significant role where they Mm -hmm. didn't have one before. Right, building in the representation that the major platforms probably wouldn't have given them in the first place. Exactly. In fan art, you'll see artists depicting characters as a completely different race. A really popular one is that even based on the way she's described, Hermione Granger could be black. It's it's really cool. It, Harry Potter could be Indian. These are really common depictions of these characters in fan works where they obviously weren't depicted like that in their mainstream movies. It's something that I think can easily be boiled down to thinking about nerdy fangirls just wanting to see handsome actors kiss. But a lot of the time, 
it's a safe way for queer youth to explore something that they're not seeing on screen. It's a way that you can explore identity that's not just being geeky and weird. It's part of a community that you're in. What is the angle of fandoms that you think people haven't paid enough attention to? Yeah, I think it's just that they have power regardless of what that power looks like. Maybe mm -hmm. it's tweeting at the creators of media until they retcon a mistake that they made. Or maybe it's spending money to support small creators with an indie game that people want to see. Even when it's not at this massive level of a sports team, mm -hmm. there's still power there that's changing the way that creators create media and the mm -hmm. way that fan creators create fan works. And it changes the way that people interact with media. I think that's something that we're seeing a shift in. Fan fiction isn't this weird, unknown word anymore for a lot of people. It's something, A, that showrunners and writers are willing to address. And it's something that people are just more cognizant of. Mm -hmm. So I think mm -hmm. as much as getting the fan experience is really important, talking to a fan of something and understanding why they like it, I would say the other piece that I would encourage a journalist to pursue is talking to a psychologist or a media mm -hmm studies professor, someone who mm -hmm. understands the actual thinking patterns. Claudia mm -hmm. and I were able to discuss a lot of interesting things and trends and our own experiences as fans and as consumers of fan work and observers of fan work. But understanding where that love comes from is a really interesting piece that I think could make your story really unique. I mean, that's amazing because that makes it a pitch that you can apply as kind of a longer form narrative or is like this larger cultural think piece? Definitely. I think keeping an eye on the pulse of what's coming out is always really interesting. And I mm -hmm. think keeping an eye on fan reactions to upcoming media and to upcoming decisions is a great way mm -hmm. to make this story really relevant. One that comes to mind for me as a Marvel Comics fan is that Black Panther 2 is still on the slate of Marvel's upcoming movies and will play a major role in whatever's going to happen in this absolutely global franchise after Chadwick Boseman's death. So the mm -hmm. way that they choose to handle that, I think, will be really interesting. And I think fans will have a lot to say about whether or not they like it, about what they think should be done, about where they think that storyline should go and how to do it in mm -hmm. a way that's respectful. Of course, Marvel is taking all this into consideration, but the average passerby, a light fan, might not be. So looking forward to something like that and observing the fan reaction and the fan pulse could be really, really cool. Or something like Black Widow, which is coming out. Marvel fans, you've gotten me into my wheelhouse now. Marvel fans had asked for that movie for forever. I know that I was really excited to see a movie with a female superhero coming out because I was pretty young when I started watching The Avengers. I kind of grew up with the franchise and didn't have that last hole filled in until mm -hmm. Wonder mm -hmm. Woman came along. That was something right. I was really excited to see. And now that they're finally doing it, after they've already killed that character in the main narrative... It'll be interesting to see the fan reaction to that as well. I would say to a journalist listening, hold on to this for Black Panther 2 because I think that'll make a more compelling story. But if you need mm -hmm. to get something out now, Black Widow's probably not a bad one to watch. When Claudia and I started talking, I brought up a couple hypotheses and told her it was completely fine to debunk them with all her knowledge. 
And for some of them, she did. It was a really interesting conversation to have with someone who's been so steeped, not just in fan culture, but as a volunteer for something like the Organization for Transformative Works, who really knows her stuff about the past, present, and future of fan culture. If you're interested in hearing that full conversation, you can support us. We'll share it with you, and it's something that we would really love for you to do. We have an hour of conversation. Claudia and I really could have gone on for longer. But if that's something that you're interested in hearing, we'll have our ways to support us and how you can get access to that in the show notes. We've given a lot of the background for why fan bases are powerful and what kind of power they have. But each specific fan base is a little different, right? Mm -hmm. The Swifties are different from sports fans, are different from people who really love Critical Role, the D&D podcast. But each of those examples has their own power. This story benefits from going down the rabbit hole of one particular fan base. I think that's a way that you can make this really personal. Thanks so much for listening, everybody. I'm Alex Carnelli, And I'm Kate Redding. Thank you so much to Claudia for taking the time to speak with me and giving us such great information about fan culture. And thank you to the Organization for Transformative Works for supporting the work that she does as a volunteer and supporting fans everywhere. If you're interested in hearing that full interview with Claudia, please check out our show notes to see where you can find it and how you can support us to get access. It would mean a lot to us if you wanted to support the work that we do at Case by Case. The show notes will also have a few other interesting links, including that explainer on Blaseball if you're interested in running with that pitch as well. Remember to rate and review us on whatever podcasting app you listen to as it lets other people know about the work that we do. We'll see you guys on The Wire. 